Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. In my opinion, the only time that you fail in any type of investing or any type of endeavor is when you just give up. So don't give up. Keep moving forward. Even if you have setbacks, learn from the setbacks. Use that as a tool so that you are a better investor the next time you go out and you do a deal. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com, and in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. And we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best Ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into... Any of that fluffy stuff with today, Anthony Chara. How you doing, Anthony? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I am doing well and looking forward to our conversation a little bit about Anthony. He started real estate investing in 2001, owns and or has syndicated approximately 1,600 apartment units across the country based in Denver, Colorado. So with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. I can certainly do that. Hello, everybody. I actually started in creative investing back in 93. I've been doing pretty much apartments almost full-time since about 2001, 2002. But 93, my wife and I turned our first house into a rental and then moved into a larger, nicer house. And for 10 years, that's all we knew. Our world consisted of buy and hold because we didn't know you could do wholesaling, fixing and flipping, apartments, short sales, or anything else. So I did that for about 10 years, had eight or nine or 10 single family homes and condos, and then met a gentleman named Robert Allen, which a lot of people know. He wrote a book called No Money Down years and years ago and started taking some classes from him and then realized that you could do wholesaling, fixing and flipping and other things. And I I did a couple of those. One of the biggest things that I learned was after I did learn something was to take it and put it into action. So I did that. I did a couple wholesale deals. I did a couple fix and flips and realized that, wow, that was a lot of work and 
some reward, but once the deal was done, I had to go out and do it again. It was like getting a job and the job was over and now I had to go find another job. So I also learned how to do apartments and in early 2003, 2004 did my first apartment deal. And one of the things that I learned from that was that the money kept coming in and they were a lot bigger checks than some of the single family homes that I was doing. So I decided I really liked that. So that our, our next deal was 98 units. Then we went up to 120 and 140 and 150 and our largest deal so far to date was a 410-unit portfolio that we did in Indianapolis. And as you mentioned earlier, right now I've either owned or syndicated a little over 1,600 units, and I love doing apartments. So my main focus now is apartment investing, and I've got a lot of students around the country because I do actually teach people how to get into this and then just keep on buying more stuff. I love traveling around the country and doing the teaching. I love meeting up with my students and educating people on how to be successful with the different deals that they get into. That 410 units, is that the most recent purchase that you've been a general partner on? No, that one was a few years ago. We actually sold that one back in it was either 2015 or 2016. So the most okay. recent one we just closed was a... Wow, I'm trying to figure it out because we've got a bunch of them that just closed within the last year. We did about a year ago. We did a 60 unit in Iowa. We did a 100 unit property in Macon, Georgia. The most recent one was actually a 32 unit property that we closed. Perfect timing. We closed in Panama City, Florida. And shortly after we bought it, the hurricane came through mm. and took the roof off of it. So that was kind of nice. But fortunately, we had the right insurance in place. Mm -hmm. What is that process like when... A hurricane comes in, you're in Colorado, property is in Panama City, and you see your weather alerts that there is some nasty weather coming to an area where your property is. What do you do to keep track of that? And then when you assess the damage, what's the process? Sure. Well, in that particular case, the property was being run by one of my students. So he went down as quickly as he could after the hurricane came through. Of course, before then, you absolutely want to make sure you have the right coverage, which we did. So not only are we getting the property taken care of, but the insurance company is also paying us as if the property is still being rented, as if renters were still in it. So that helps tremendously, especially when you have investors that need or are expecting some type of cash flow. But it's definitely been a pain in the butt. It's It's been trying. The student has been interfacing with the insurance company. And if you've ever worked with an insurance company, most of them try and take in as many premiums as they can and pay out the least amount possible. So we've also been working with a public adjuster who's gone out to the property and is on our side because they're working with us to battle our insurance company because you, you can't imagine that you're actually on the same team when you actually have to put in a claim. It's like a big battle to the finish and wh whoever survives is the winner and the victor. Which but is very, very unfortunate, but it's ridiculous that they take it that direction. But yeah, it is. Yeah. Same thing. So yeah, so the public adjuster is helping because they're coming out and showing other detailed information to the insurance company that says your estimates are way undervalued because we need to bring this property back up to the condition it was in before the hurricane came through. And we can show them pictures and videos of the interior of the property and how we want this property to be put back like it was before. So they generally like to push back. They think that we're charging way too much or asking way too much. And we think that they're paying too little. And eventually we'll come to an agreement and get everything done. And ultimately we are going to win. We're going to be successful, but it's a very long, painful process because as I mentioned, insurance companies, even though they love to take your premiums, they don't like <laughs> to actually pay for those repairs. 
So you have business interruption insurance. You are also insured for the property whenever something like this takes place. Let's fast forward 12 months from now. In your opinion, is the property better off having had this event take place? Is it a neutral event or is it a negative? In this particular case, it's going to be a hugely positive event. It's already been a hugely positive event simply because there's been so many homes and housing that's been wiped out in the Panhandle area there in Panama City. We've actually been taking our rent up. And I know that there are some people out there that would say, oh, well, you're taking advantage of people in the area. It's like, no, we're actually not. Most of the people that are living in the property are actually working for insurance companies and contractors. And there's no place for them to live. And we need to pay for our increased premiums and everything else that goes on because everything in that area has gone up. Not only are we raising the rent, but the things that you would normally pay for that might cost you X amount, well, it's now X plus an extra 50% because it's harder for even things like lumber and drywall and roofing materials to get into that area. And as soon as it gets in, it's gone because there's just so much work that has to happen in those areas. The people that live there just to get food and things like that, and they're still working on the power in that area and making sure that the power is flowing the way it's supposed to. They're still clearing debris out of the area. And it's a year later. As a matter of fact, I'm down in New Orleans right now. And it was 14, 15 years ago when Hurricane Katrina came through. Last time I was here doing a presentation was on their 10-year anniversary, and they were still recovering from the effects of Katrina. So if you were like us and you were in that area right as the situation happened, it is going to be a very positive event for us because we are helping to continue to provide housing for people in that area. We are benefiting from it because we can increase our rents because there is a lack of housing. But we're also providing a service to people that do need to be down in this area, helping people recover by fixing up their units and getting back on track with their lives. One challenge I came across with one of our deals that we owned in Houston, we've since sold it. When Hurricane Harvey came, it did not directly hit our property, but what it did is it increased the cost of contract labor because now all of a sudden what we had budgeted for contract labor dramatically increased because they were more in demand and there were other properties that were paying much more for their services because they had to in order to get their services. So then our budget had to increase. Have you come across that with your property? Yeah, we certainly have the same exact situation because there's only a certain number of people. There's a lot of workers that were in that area that are now displaced. They move to other areas of the country with family or to find a job someplace else because their home, their apartment might have been wiped out. So the people that are coming down that are there, their cost of living and being there is higher. And we've also found out that insurance companies are paying these people more to entice them to come back to the market or into the market so that they can actually do the work that needs to be done for the insurance companies. So yes, all the costs have gone up because of the scarcity. The infrastructure is still suffering. So a lot of the stuff that we take for granted, like warehouses to store food and building materials and things like that, they're all gone. There's no place to do it. So it's a constant, endless truckload of things and food and parts and 
pieces that need to come in and all the people that need to take care of those things. So yeah, expenses have gone up. So until you get to the point where it's very easy to go down to the street corner and get a gallon of gasoline, things are going to continue to be expensive until it normalizes. And if it's anything like what New Orleans went through, it's going to be about 10 years before Panama City comes back to fruition. So it's good for us since we already have property there. And it's going to continue to stay strong for a while, but yet it's also costing us more as well. Mm -hmm. The 60 unit in Iowa, switching gears a little bit. Will you tell us about that? Sure. That particular one is, um, it's on the Eastern coast, right on the Mississippi river in a little town called Burlington. One of my students found that through a real estate connection that he had. He's created relationships with brokers in that area. He likes buying in Iowa and Kansas and Nebraska. And the broker came to him. And the interesting part was, we know that that same broker likes this type of property. So when he brought it to us, we said, well, wait a second, why aren't you buying it if it's such a great deal? And he said, because it was too far away from his target area, it was about a two and a half hour drive from where he lives. And he only likes buying properties that are over 100 units, which we do too. But in this particular case, that same student already owned, uh, I think it was about 118 or 119 property about three miles away. Mm -hmm. So it was an easy transition. So we went out, took a look at the property. It was actually a great little property. The owner of the property, about four years ago now, the fire department came through. And why they didn't do this years ago, I have no idea. But the fire department came through for one of their typical inspections and noticed that in all the second floor units, these are townhouse style, where you've got the living area on the lower end, and then you go up the stairs to the bedrooms in the upper area. All of the upper windows had the through the window air conditioning units. And the fire department finally figured out that, oh, wait a second, you're blocking an emergency egress. Mm -hmm. So they made them take out all the upper air conditioning units. Well, if you've ever been in Kansas in (laughs) July or August, it gets very hot and very humid and people aren't going to only stay down in the lower level with the air conditioning unit that is going through the wall in the lower level. So the owner made the decision when they pulled them all out to put in all brand new air conditioners and furnaces in all 60 units. Nice. At the same time, they redid all the roofs, they redid all the siding. So we ended up coming in and buying a, what should have been a C-class property that was probably more like a B-minus just because it had all this new equipment in it. And we also inherited an 18-unit HAP contract, a housing assistance contract from HUD with that same property. So 18 of the units are paid for, whether they're occupied or not. And then the other 42, we take care of on the open market. So it's been going pretty good for us. We've had it a little over a year now, and we're looking to refinance out of a short-term bridge loan that we got on that one in order to get into it. What was the business plan for it? Well, the business plan was because we we knew that it was going to be a good candidate for a HUD loan was to buy it on a bridge loan, which we did. Unfortunately, it's taken us a little bit longer. Uh, We had some issues with HUD themselves getting this particular property going. The original manager that was in the property for us ended up getting blacklisted by HUD because of another property that they managed that the owner was taking care of the maintenance. Well, HUD didn't care that the owner was supposedly taking care of the maintenance because this management company had their name on the property and HUD was not happy with the repairs that they were doing. Mm -hmm. So HUD blacklisted them and made us get another manager. Well, that whole process set us back because it took us about three to four to five months for three different parts of this. Yeah. The first part we had to find a new manager that we liked. That took us about a month, month and a half of interviewing quite a few managers in the area. Mm -hmm. Then once we liked them, then HUD had to interview them (laughs) 
to confirm that they were okay with them and then do a background check on them and look at some of their other properties to make sure they were maintaining them. And then the third part of it was because of this HAP contract, as soon as they blacklisted the first manager, they stopped paying us for the HAP contract. (laughs) So it's like, well, wait a second, you're the ones that blacklisted them. Now you won't pay us. So once we finally got the new manager in place, the new management company then had to redo all of the paperwork and submit all the paperwork for the 18 units. And that took another two to three months in order for us to get fully paid and up to date with all the paperwork. Well, at the same time with the transition, the previous manager was short timing it. So they weren't really doing a very good job of putting new people in. Plus they couldn't talk to anybody that was on HAP because they knew HAP wouldn't pay them. Mm -hmm. So they could only talk to people who were coming in off the open market. So anyway, we ended up getting a bridge loan and the the plan was to be out of that within a year. But then with this whole situation with HAP, our vacancy started to creep up. We ended up at the worst case scenario, we ended up at 30% vacancy, 70% occupancy Mm -hmm. going through this whole process. And now we've got it back on track over the last few months. The manager's been putting in better quality people. We're back up around the 85% range but we can't actually do the HUD contract or the HUD loan until we've got 90% occupancy for at least 90 days. Mm-hmm. So we're still working on that. So the plan, long answer to a short question with the business plan was to have the short contract in order to buy the property with the bridge loan, take out financing within the first year. And now we're just slightly over one year. So it's probably going to be about a year and a half. So we're about six months behind on the plan. Once we get that new loan in place, the interest rate is going to drop drastically. The cash flow is going to go up. The last thing that we need to do with the property, because there really wasn't a whole lot since the owner had been doing a good job of taking care of it, was replacing most of the windows. A lot of the windows were original from the early 70s when the property was built. They still had some single panes and some of the windows don't open and close very well. So we're going to replace all of those, which is also going to help with the energy efficiency of the property. And then we plan on selling it in five years when the loan balloons to other investors. And of course, uh, the goal is to at least double our money within that five-year period, if not better. About how much does it cost to replace the windows in a 60 unit? It depends on the quality. We've had quotes anywhere from some of the smaller windows for maybe 150 to 200, including labor, up to 350 to 400 for some of the larger windows. So I think we budgeted about $160,000 or dollars no, $120,000 to replace all the windows, including labor. And how do you think of that in terms of ROI for the deal whenever you sell it in five years? That's a great question. We actually took that into consideration before we bought it because that was part of our plan when we purchased it, we knew that these windows were a sore spot, not only with the residents, but with the energy efficiency on the property. Some of them don't look very good. Some of them that are the dual pane also have the seals broken, so you can't really see through them. And they also are kind of an eyesore at this point, simply because if you look at some of the units that have been changed, they have the larger, thicker white vinyl border, where some of the older ones are still the old aluminum windows. They look older and they're kind of an eyesore. So we actually budgeted for that in our numbers. And that's one of the reasons we were really excited about this property, just because even with the 120, 160 total between the windows and some other things we wanted to do, our investors were still getting a cash on cash return around 10%. And then the total return we're projecting, I think the IRR is going to be in the, around the 18% range Mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Mm Mm-hmm. With the 18 units, 
under the government assistance program, would you rather have just 18 or all 60 or zero? Which of those three options would you rather have? You know, if you had asked me before we bought it, I might have <laughs> been they interested. Stopped paying before you. they stopped paying me, I might have been interested in the whole project being a Section 8 just because whether it's occupied or not, they're going to pay the contract. The downside is, after what happened here, and I've heard this from other owners as well, is that if HAP has an issue with something, whether it's the condition of the property, how you're taking care of it, they don't like the manager, something goes on, they can literally cut off all of your payments. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm actually kind of happy the way it is now that we only have a part of the property, about 30% under the HAP contract. And we still are allowed to take HAP vouchers. So we still have other people in the property that are on Section 8. But because they're under a voucher program as opposed to the HAP contract, they did not get cut off. Those payments did not stop coming in. So I kind of like the way it is now. We have 18 of them where we have guaranteed rent. And then the other 42 are open market and Section 8 people. So we have a variety of people on the property. Will you elaborate on the difference between a voucher program versus a contract? Sure. So the contract is just like it sounds. You have a contract with housing assistance that says, we want these 18 units. We're going to decide who's going to go in the units. We're going to pay for these units so that they're available for us to utilize. And they so pay they, that. They screen the tenants and they put them in there and all that process. Like the, Well, they're supposed to. Supposed we still to. Have, <laughs> yeah, we, we still have the ability to screen them. And if we don't like the people that are coming in and we have the ability to go out and look at their work history and their eviction history and things like that, even their criminal history to see whether or not we want to allow them into the property. But a lot of times because it's under the HAP program, they just say, well, Mr. Jones is here and we'd like Mr. Jones to move in. With the HAP program, people just go wherever HAP says, we've got a contract, you can go here, here's the available unit. If you like it, let us know and we'll put you in. Mm -hmm. With the voucher program, people can actually take the voucher. It's what's called portable. So they can move that voucher from one complex to another. They're not limited on where HAP only has a contract. They can go to a house for all that matter. They can go to a homeowner that is willing to accept a voucher and they can walk in and say, I've got this voucher. And based on how much money that person makes, then HAP has a metric that they put them through, a formula that they put them through that says based on how much money they make and what the average rent is in this certain area and how many people are in the house, whether it's a husband and wife or girlfriend and girlfriend or boyfriend and boyfriend and whether or not they have any kids, the size of space that they need, number of rooms, how much they qualify for, what their share is going to be, if any. We've had some people that even on a voucher, HAP has paid for their entire rental rate. And some, they've paid a minimum amount, $4, $9, $11 a month. So the big difference is with the contract, it's set. Most of the time, you pretty much accept the people that come. But with the vouchers, you can still screen them. They can take that voucher and they can use it in your property this year. And then next year, if they decide to move out, they can take that voucher and their income and go someplace else to somebody else's unit where the HAP contract is set for, I think it's a five-year contract that we have with them. Mm -hmm. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's somewhere between a five and 10 year contract. On a separate but related note regarding the property, you said you've came in town and looked at the property. What are some things that you pay particular attention to 
and we'll be specific. Let's just talk about the 60 unit. When you came to and looked at 60 unit, what are some things that you read about the property? You saw the financials. So you had the paperwork. You probably saw pictures, but now you're actually there. What do you look at? What do you look for? Well, the biggest things that I want to look for are the major issues with the property that can cause you a lot of monetary loss if they're not taken care of properly. Some of the biggest things I want to look at when I come in are things like the roof. I want to look at the parking lot. I want to look at the drainage around the units. Uh, we've had issues where uh, years ago we missed some things because not, well, I shouldn't say we missed it. We just didn't realize that it was an issue until we actually had an issue with it. We had one property where there was actually a creek flowing through the middle of the property and we knew it was there. We did our best to check and make sure that it wasn't going to be a problem. We made sure that there was a drainage area underneath a little bridge in the property that we had to make sure was cleared out. And then lo and behold, we get a huge rainfall and the creek was not the problem. The problem was, is the way the property was situated was up on a, a frontage road next to a freeway. There was so much rain coming off the frontage road down into the property where there was no creek and no clear path for the water to drain because it had never really rained that hard in the area to even cause an issue. It actually washed out the foundation underneath one of our buildings. So that was a pain. So now that we've learned that, we walk around the property, we look to see if there's any, in essence, choke points like that, because you do get a lot of rain in eastern Kansas, especially since we are very close to the Mississippi River. We look at the elevation to see how close we are. Are we within the floodplain? Because uh, I don't know about you, but the Mississippi River and a few other rivers in Central America, as in Central United States of America, have been overflowing and flooding. Roofs are always a very big ticket item. We look at the either boiler systems and or chiller systems. In this case, we have individual furnaces in all of the units. So we knew those were only three years old, so we didn't have an issue with any of those. But we want to take a look at the big dollar ticket items. We also want to look and see if there's any types of issues with mold, bugs, things like bed bugs, cockroaches, and see what we can do to mitigate some of those issues to the best of our ability, because those things are what's going to cost you in the long run. It's going to be very expensive to do the roofs. Ours were only three years old, but even though they were three years old, we still got up on the roofs and checked them out because occasionally you can have decking under the roofs that is weakened. And sometimes people don't actually replace the decking when they put on new roofs. They just put new shingles over old shingles if they're allowed to based on code. And so we did our checking on that and the roofs looked like they were in great shape. All the furnaces and air conditioners were all in great shape. The drainage issue, we had one little area where I let the team know and the managers know that they needed to keep a particular area cleared out because it seemed like a lot of stuff, whether it was people dumping trash or the trash just blowing or draining down into that area as the rains came, that that all needed to be cleared out. Plus, it just it didn't look nice with some of the trash that was in the area. So those are some of the big things we look at. And then, of course, the parking lot, whether it's asphalt or concrete. What's the condition? Does the parking lot need to be sealed? A lot of people don't realize that the asphalt parking lots need to be sealed on a regular basis and restriped so that they don't dry out. Because if they do dry out, they can literally turn to nothing but mush and gravel. And then it's going to be a much more expensive fix to clear all that out and then put down a new overlayment instead of just taking care of it and doing preventative maintenance in the meantime. Taking a giant step back, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice is to, number one, take action. Learn and then take action. And then the other part of it I would tell people too is to not give up. There are going to be 
obstacles that you run into. And it's all too often that in our society, people just, they hit a roadblock and they quit. In my opinion, the only time that you fail in any type of investing or any type of endeavor is when you just give up. So don't give up. Keep moving forward. Even if you have setbacks, learn from the setbacks. Use that as a tool so that you are a better investor the next time you go out and you do a deal. Don't let setbacks hold you back. Keep moving forward. Keep doing more and more deals and you will be more and more successful. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? <laughs> uh, let, me, let me sit up straight here and uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. All right. I know you're ready. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. All right, Anthony, best ever book you've recently read? Oh, uh, Cashflow Quadrant. I just reread that one a couple months ago. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I donate money and time to a bunch of worthy charities. I donate a lot of money to Habitat since I'm in real estate. I donate a lot of money to Habitat for Humanity, American Red Cross, Wounded Warriors. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? You can go to my website, successclasses.com, successclasses.com. I do classes all across the country, and we'd love to see you out there. And I know some people in Cincinnati who have taken your class and had really good things to say. Anthony, thank you for being on the show, talking about some specific deals, the 32-unit challenges with that, and Mother Nature, 60-unit in Iowa, and just talking through some things in the business plan and what you and your team's doing and things to look at from a big picture whenever you're taking a look at a property on a walkthrough. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best of your day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.